Well, I invite you to turn this morning to Joshua chapter 9. We continue our study in the book of Joshua. We come to the Gibeonite deception. Uh, This is found on page 218. 218 in your Bibles that are in front of you. And we'll consider this great chapter. Again, Joshua chapter 9. Let's give our attention today to the word of the Lord. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland... All along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gideon, of Gibeon, heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended with worn-out patch sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But when the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you? And where do you come from? They said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were well, were beyond the Jordan to Sihon, the king of Heshbon and to Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go and meet to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it's dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they've burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them, made a covenant with them to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. At the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now the cities, now their cities were Gibeon, Shephirah, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leaders said to them, let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. Joshua summoned them and said to them, Why did you deceive us, saying, We are very far from you when you dwell among us? Now therefore you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, Because it was told to your servants. For a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because you 
because of you and did this thing. And now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. And there will end the reading of God's word. Well, one of the great challenges of our time is to stay focused on the mission of the church. Uh, There's a lot of discussion about that in our day with our changing times and challenging scenarios that we would stay focused on uh, what the, the church is to do and called to be in this world. We see so much uh, sin and so much evil, it's easy for us to forget why the Lord left us here to begin with. Are we just waiting for the judgment? What are we trying to accomplish? What is this all about? It's interesting when Jesus prayed that he prayed, I pray that you do not take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. The reason that he prayed that is because he had a mission for his church and his people. It's a struggle today as we see so much um, that the times have changed so much and the rebellion is so great. It's, it's a struggle to stay focused on what the mission is, what is our goal, and to think about what people need the most. What do people really need today? It's not to be saved from politics. They need salvation, don't they? That's why we're here. That's why we're left here. That's why the Lord has his church in the world. And believe it or not, uh, even though um, Joshua is about the conquest of Canaan, what we see in this book are great foreshadowings of the time in which we live. Uh, We see um, the nations beginning to stream in. We see things happening that have been shocking, like Rahab and her family delivered with the same sort of action that happened in Egypt when when God's people were delivered when the angel of death passed them over. And while judgment is real, so is salvation. And this is what we should desire of people. I think we have to remember that in our day. And of all the anger and frustration that we have What does Joe Biden need? What does Kamala Harris need? What does Nancy Pelosi need? What does Donald Trump need? Salvation. But we're all worked up. We're all worked up. Well, we remember when God sent Jonah to Nineveh. (laughs) He didn't really want to go. Somebody has to stay in California, don't they? Right? Right? Can't all flee California, head to Texas. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? In which there are more than 120,000 persons who can't tell their right hand from their left and much cattle? That is a stunning question. Should I not care for them? What they need? Well... I think that's the tension in this text today. Um, Can compassion be shown even in Joshua to the nations? In the midst of the conquest of the land where judgment is announced. If we could find that in Joshua, wouldn't that be remarkable? 
If we could see that in Joshua, where the Lord gets attacked incessantly for wiping out the Canaanites. If we could see the real heart of it all right here, wouldn't that be amazing? Well, that's what we have. (laughs) In this confusing situation that is before us, even though Israel's greatly deceived, we have this difficult scenario that is set in front of us. And I found this, believe it or not, it's an easy read, I think. I think you probably felt like, well, this seems like a pretty straightforward passage. It actually was one of the most complex and difficult to write this sermon. I, I, even up to the last minute in my study, I was still banging my head over this text. We learned something crucial here. We learned something about how to handle ourselves in this world, in the midst of the the cunning devices of the evil one. We learned lots of principles like that. We learned about prayer, for sure. There are lots of moral implications of this. But I don't want to miss the larger, what you might say, redemptive historical picture that's given to us. I think it would be a mistake just to make this moral. We're going to look at this today by looking at the great deception of Gibeon. And then the failure of Israel... But the oath, by the end, that saves them. And look at sort of the the, the goal of looking at the big picture, if we can, of the Lord's plan with the nations. And that's where we are here today in Joshua chapter 9. The nations are on high alert. Did you notice that right at the beginning of chapter 9? That we read this coalition has formed between all the kings of Canaan in a collaborated effort, have joined together to fight Joshua and Israel. A specific command was given to Israel. One that we have to remember from Deuteronomy. This was the command. When the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. That is... Harem warfare, that is just total, under-the-ban destruction that everyone gets nervous about with the book of Joshua. Here we are right in the middle of it. We're right in the thick of it. This is the hard part of Joshua, I think, for us living in the new covenant. I often say, be so thankful you live in the new covenant. (laughs) It is wonderful to live in the new covenant. That's why uh, Hebrews was saying to us, how will you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? Look at the mercy shown to the nations. We're not on a mission to destroy the nations, are we? It's a remarkable thing that when Jesus was ascended, uh, right at his ascension before he went, he said, go into all the world and do what? Destroy them? Save them. Make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them. So this is, this is the, the commission we were given. Joshua's commission was destroy them. Old covenant. New covenant. Save to the ends of the earth. That's when you live. Now, here we're having a sort of forecast of, I think, what we get to enjoy. But Israel was specifically called never to make a covenant with them. You ever asked Why? Well, in a sense, that's still true to this day. There's a reason unbelievers do not marry unbelievers. Um, There's there's covenant responsibilities here. The big reason was, was to keep what was holy, a holy nation, separate from what was profane. Um, God's people 
We're not to marry into them. God's people were not to, to, um, to worship their idols. And this is exactly why the covenant was commanded. You cannot make a covenant with them, for you will be assimilated into them. And that's what we saw throughout history. Even Solomon learned a hard lesson, didn't he? But I think there's a tension here that we have to, 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 to wrestle with. Uh, we saw this with Rahab, remember. Rahab the prostitute, the harlot. Um, she came in with her family, and, 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 and the same kind of covenant language was used. She and all of her household and received the same blessings of Israel as the angel of, uh, of death, uh, symbolized there by the nation drawing the sword against Jericho, passed over her and her house. But now a scenario is set before us in which they found themselves confused. What do we do? Can mercy be shown to a people? We open up chapter 9. All the nations have taken a stand against the Lord. Uh, Psalm 2 is just right in mind here. Against the Lord and against his anointed. It really does sort of capture for us up front the whole stance of the world against the church. Um, This or the um, Psalm 83, I think, captures this so well. Keep not silence, O God. Hold not your peace and be not still, O God. For your enemies make a tumult. They hate and they, and they that hate have lifted up the head. They've taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted against your hidden ones. They have said, come, let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more remembrance. For they've consulted together with one consent. That's right here. They are a confederate against you. Amid everything that's happening, notice that. Make them like a tumbleweed, O my God, like chaff before the wind, as fire consumes the forest, or flame sets the mountains ablaze. So pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. Cover their faces with shame so that men will seek your name, O Lord. In the middle of that judgment psalm, there's a strange statement, isn't there? Do this so that people will seek you. May they ever be ashamed and dismayed. May they perish in disgrace. Let them know that you, whose name is the Lord, that you alone are the most high over all the earth. Well, that takes us to Gibeon. Just 19 miles away from Ai, we read that they get together and they give this cunning plan. It's a brilliant plan. They come together and they said, here's what we're going to do. We are going to resort to this ruse. We're going to, we're going to fake them. We're going to put on, put on a sackcloth and we're going to um, carry old sacks and we're going to have old wineskins torn up and patched up and sandals on our feet and our bread will be old and it will be moldy and, and crumbly. And what we're going to tell them is that we've traveled from this far off land so that Israel would be deceived and that Israel would recognize that and that they would show them mercy. But how could it be done? The command was clear. Wipe them out. No covenant. This is a, this is, this is, you see why I'm, why this is confusing. (laughs) They said, we'll specifically ask Israel to make a covenant with us. So this is what they do. They, they, they show up looking rag. 
ragged and beaten and torn up from a long journey. And the emphasis there on old wineskins torn and mended and patched sandals and old garments. And they, they pose the question, look, we've come from this far off land. We're a people who dwell in Canaan. Would you please make a covenant with us? We want to live. Now, as a, as a, a preacher and, and an interpreter of the Bible, you have to stand back and ask questions of a text. And one of the questions you have to ask is, is this sincere? Well, it doesn't seem totally sincere. They're lying, right? What would you do? These are the exact words of Rahab. We've come from a far country, but we've heard about the Lord God. We've heard of his fame. And we heard what he did to Sihon and Og. Notice the proposal. We are your servants. Make a covenant with us, please. It was deception. But in what way? I think the remarkable thing here is Gibeon knows the law of Israel. <laughs> Somehow they figured out the law of Israel. And they're studying the law of Israel. They know that if they could get Israel to make a covenant with them in the name of the Lord... That God is so holy. God is so righteous. God so demands the upholding of oaths. That they would not be destroyed if they could pull this off. Now someone can disagree with me here. But it's so strikingly similar to Rahab. Who after deceiving the king of Jericho. (laughs) Was commended for her faith. After a great deception. How can we look at this differently? They have found out a way to try to confuse Israel into making a covenant with them. The heart of the deception was that they came from this great distance. They came all the way from this great distance. It's like coming from Fresno to Escondido. You came from Fresno. Good comes out of Fresno. I'm saying that because our track team won yesterday. We made it third place and we have to go to Fresno. So I was just thinking about that. Maybe this is intended to make Gentiles feel the awful predicament that they're in. For all those outside the covenant. We just take this all for granted. That we Gentiles were brought into the covenant. (laughs) Do you know where we would be today? As Gentiles, if no mercy had been shown to us, wiped out. What do you think Judgment Day is? Without hope, Ephesians 2, and without God in the world. Who thinks about that? (laughs) Who thinks about that today at all? A day of judgment's coming. And all who have not entered in the kingdom of heaven by a new birth are doomed to destruction. That's a tough pill to swallow. But nobody even cares. Who thinks about it? What if you did care? You might say, I'll do anything I can to be in that covenant. 
I'll do anything I can to be in the courts of the Lord. I wouldn't miss worship for anything. What if? Can you put yourself in Gibeon's shoes for just a minute? There's no way of being spared. This was a brilliant plan. This was just, this was just a brilliant plan. I, I mean, if you were to look at this and say, look at the zeal and the faith of doing whatever they could do to be spared. What if the nations were coming in like that today? Wouldn't that be awesome? People just said, I, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord just as long as I'm in. Kind of like the Gentiles in John 12 coming up to the disciples and saying, Sirs, can we see Jesus? Please? Now the tension in a text like this is how in the world is it even possible? We're an old covenant Israel. We are in harem warfare. We are in devote to destruction, Joshua. And this problem, I think, is what drives the text. The indictment here is this. The Holy Spirit inspired something really important in the middle of this. Did you see it? The men of the Israel took some of the provisions, but they did not seek counsel from the Lord. The word is mouth. In verse 1, it says, the nations came together with one mouth. That's how the Hebrew reads. Here it's again, it's emphasis here. They didn't seek the mouth of the Lord on this matter. It's a big point to the text. I mean, I really would love to spend a good hour talking about prayer here. How important prayer is to the decisions of life. I mean, it's the avenue God's given us to talk to him when we're faced with situations we have no idea what to do. And even when the, and, and life is, is, is confusing at times, even when we're faced with situations where the word says this and the situation is so confusing, what do we do? What do we do? Here you go. Seek the Lord. And this is what Proverbs 3 is all about. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him and he'll direct the path. That's the promise of Proverbs 3 that we love. But here was the challenge. The word said, no covenant. Wipe them out. I find it hard to understand. Because looking at this from an old covenant point of view, I struggled with this question. Not something I want to say, because I don't think this is, this is right. But initially, as you're working through it, I came to this struggle. And the struggle was this. I'm not sure they should ask the Lord. See, see the struggle here? The word was clear. It seems kind of black and white. There's no provision for this, or is there? What might the Lord have said? Lord, they've come to us. They've asked for a covenant. Your word says no, wipe them out. The Lord has said, well, there's a great deception here, you guys. They're not from a far country. They're from those cities right in front of you, devoted to destruction. That's what he would have said. Gone. Right? See, see, the tension of this is, is could mercy be found? <laughs> there was a promise to Abraham in the covenant of grace that all the nations would be blessed. But aren't we too early? Maybe more important here, 
is that deep embedded in the law of God, there was a provision made. In Deuteronomy 20, in the principles of governing warfare, here's what he said. If of the cities of the people which the Lord gives you and of inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. But then following that, it says this in Deuteronomy 20. When you march up to attack a city, make its people an offer of peace. If they accept and open their gates, all the people in it shall be subject to forced labor and shall work for you. If they refuse to make peace and they engage you in battle, lay siege to that city. So the provision was, if there was a people in a far off place when they came up to the city. Now again, there were those cities devoted to destruction. And here we have that word of the inheritance, he says, makes that distinction in Deuteronomy and, and Uh, Leviticus 20. They came up to this city and they asked for peace. It could be done. Well, what do we have here? No seeking of the Lord. They make the covenant. They didn't think about the law in this way. They had had obviously some understanding of it. But we read that, that as they make this covenant, they find out shortly after the whole thing was a ruse. They've been deceived. Notice what happens. Israel approached the cities of the place. Um, and, and, and it says here in the text, they did not attack them because notice the oath that they had sworn to them by the Lord, the very name of the Lord had been invoked in an oath. Now, now again, see the tension here. <laughs> we have the command, wipe them out. Now they have made a covenant with them. They've taken an oath. And notice the oath is in the Lord's name. Well, now they've caused a lot of problems in the congregation. All the complaints come. What are you doing? The leadership's a mess. They did something, at least outwardly looking at, they shouldn't have done. So Joshua goes to the, to the Gibeonites as he finds them out. What have you done? Why did you deceive us? Notice what they say. Your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you. That's why we did this. We're in your hands. Do to us whatever seems right. They're casting themselves on Israel with a question of, can mercy be shown? Again, I can't help but to come back to this question. Imagine if people looked at the kingdom of God like this. What if we could just get in? What if God would show us mercy as Gentiles? We heard about your God. We heard about all that he did. It's the same faith as Rahab. How can you miss it? In the midst of a severe judgment that is coming on this world, how can you miss that there is one shocking way of escape? What is it? Faith. 
but the deception. What's really the heart of this, beloved, as I wrestled this week? What's the heart of it? It's those tensions that you come to in the text, like David in the showbread. The law said, you can't touch that bread. You're not a priest. David goes in and eats. The Pharisee said, ah, you can't touch the bread. Law says no. But he needed to eat. He was hungry, says Jesus. Isn't it the principle? I desire mercy and not sacrifice, not judgment. As important as it is, there's something that stands out here even more. They honored that oath (laughs) and they made them servants in the Lord's house, woodcutters and water carriers. Why? Because they said, lest wrath come upon us because of the oath that we have sworn. Probably the most important detail of the text of all of this is, in the narrative is, look how much fear Israel had it's not break the oath taken in God's name. The oath was not to be broken. I mean, think about how we think of oaths. We took oaths in marriage, didn't we, before the Lord? We took oaths in church when we, when we made a promise to submit to the elders. We took oaths before the Lord. Look at this. We took oaths in marriage till death do us part. We took oaths to love. We can't break it. This is um, quite, quite a moment. How does this passage end? Why did you deceive us? And of course, they say we don't want to die. So Joshua pronounces a curse. Here's the curse. (laughs) Woodcutters and water carriers, you will be in God's house for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord. I stand back from that. You see why I'm wrestling with this text? I stand back and say, what a deal. What a deal. Better to be a what? A doorkeeper in the Lord's house than dwell outside in the tents of wickedness. You just got in. In fact, this oath was so binding that when Saul came along and tried to destroy the Gibeonites, the Lord was furious at Saul. Look at how the Lord overruled the entire situation. Look at the sin involved. And through it, brought them in to his kingdom to serve in his house. So holy and righteous is our Lord. He would see the oath fulfilled. And all along, there had been a provision in the law to spare him. Did you notice in closing today, they put on old wineskins and old patches. I don't know how much to make of this. Look at verse 13. And these wineskins which we filled were new and see they're torn. That was not true, of course. They had made them to look old. And that's why they tore they had put new wineskins into old ones. (laughs) Do you think that might have been what Jesus was referring to? 
It's a hard passage I've never really understood. One of the most difficult parables of Jesus. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on old garments for the patch pulls away and it's made worse. Nor do they put new wineskin in the old ones, but they put new wine into new wineskins. What was he talking about? The fullness of his kingdom. In my kingdom, you can't disguise your identity. This is what the Pharisees had done. When my kingdom comes in its fullness, it exposes what is true and it exposes what is false. What is of faith and what is not. You know, when he told that parable, you know what preceded that? The Pharisees criticized him for sitting and dining with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Gibeonites wanted badly into this kingdom. (laughs) They faked wineskins. Just to get in. But there was faith. They were true. Jesus says in the fullness of his kingdom, fakes are those who refuse faith. Fakes are those who play the religious game. Fakes are those who put on the Sunday clothes, but don't believe. They're fakes. Their heart's not there. They don't want a place in the Lord's house. They don't care at all whether they're in the Lord's house. They would do anything they could to get away from the Lord's house. They don't see their sin and they don't see their need. He will expose that. But there's no need for true children to hide. Did you hear me? There's no need for true children to hide. He has opened up a place for sinners. (laughs) He has opened up a place for the nations to come in. It's always been his plan to include the Gentiles in his covenant. And he made a covenant that all the way back from Abraham had said, I'm going to include the Gentiles. In Christ's death, when he died on the cross, from a place of curse came blessing. And I think the beautiful picture here, beloved, is look at how mercy triumphed over judgment. And look at the blessing, even if you're a doorkeeper, of being in the kingdom of God. We can enter his covenant today freely by what? Faith. Faith. And that's the concern of the Great Commission. That's the concern of the church today. That we would bring salvation to the ends of the earth. He's overwhelming God. He's wonderful. And if you know what you are and you know what you deserve, you're with Psalm 84. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the Lord's house than to dwell out there in the tents of wickedness. Let's praise him. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us today and thank you for showing us your plan through this confusing section. Help us to be thankful to be in your house. Help us, O Lord, to be grateful for salvation. 
and thankful that we don't have to play games to try to get in your kingdom. We don't have to be phonies. You receive sinners who are open and honest about what they are and what they need. The fakes are those who refuse that. Thank you, O Lord. We praise you today and give us joy to be even doorkeepers in your house. In Jesus' name, amen.